You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as a family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. Are you ready for this series? If you've looked at the title this morning, I'm thankful you stayed. You know, I think about, you know, what God wants us to hopefully, you know, obviously the idea is this. I'm not leading this church. Jesus is. <laughs> and so my job is to endeavor to hear from the Holy Spirit, to hear from Jesus, to say, where are you leading us in this next season? Where are you leading us into the future? We do that as a staff. We do that as the elders of the church. We're always asking ourselves the question, Jesus, what are you calling us to do? Because we don't want to be about our own ideas, right? Because they're lame. If we can just look at the history of the world, we see that men, humans, generally fail when we're the ones leading and it's all about us. And so there's this idea that we want to look in in scriptures. And I was really praying in the last season. It was probably around May. I, I went away for some time in prayer. And I was just saying, okay, God, you know, into the next season. What do, you, what do you have for us? And I felt like one of the things we were supposed to talk about is idols. <laughs> and I was like, that sucks. Nobody likes idols, Jesus. Nobody wants to talk about idols in our lives. We don't even want to admit that we probably have idols. You know, we read the scriptures, we read the Old Testament, or we even come to the New Testament, and we can see where, you know, especially with the Israelites, they were always combating this, this thing of idol worship. And, and here we are in 2023, we could probably easily try to say, well, we don't worship idols. We don't carve things and put them on shelves and bow down to them. But the truth is we do it in different ways. There's plenty of idols that we have formed in our lives. And the reality is this, an idol is anything that we take in our life and place it higher than the value of God in our life. And there's lots and lots of them. In fact, really what's been happening in me since I felt like God kind of was speaking to that for our next season just to be talking about, you know, we've been kind of on this maturity theme all year. I, I really have been feeling like God's pointing out idols in my own life pointing out idols of things that easily get elevated over him or over him at different times. And it's not always sometimes, it's just in seasons. I, you, we get lost pretty easily as humans. We get off track fairly easily at times. So there's this place where I feel like God wants to kind of put his finger on us a little bit and say, listen, maybe this is a place where you have some idol worship in your life. And even as weird and pagan as that sounds, the reality is that we do. And so I want to start with an idol that I really think is the basis of all idols, and that's the idol of self, us. Because reality is when you boil down most decisions that we make in our world and in our lives and in our future and in our families and in all the contexts in which we live, we're elevating ourself above everything else. We're thinking about ourselves more than anything else. And so there's this idol that we fight with called self. And so I want to read first in Exodus 20, just simply one of, the, one of the commandments, right? This is the second great commandments, you know, the Ten Commandments God gives us in Exodus. He says, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or any image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them. Or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, 
am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I've always appreciated this scripture for multiple reasons. One, what we see here is that God isn't just a sterile being in the sky. He's not just some sort of robotic, unemotional figure. He's actually a little bit like us because we're a little like him. And what we see is an emotion that God literally admits to in this moment. I'm jealous. Now, I don't know about you, but that almost makes me cringe. What do you mean, God, you're jealous? And what he's saying is that he has such a love for us as humans, his creation. He has such a love and a, and a design that we're supposed to live that when we fall away from that design, when we kind of follow other gods or when we give our love to other things, it causes a jealousy in him. And that there's a place where he is not okay with that. Any of us that have been in any romantic relationship understand this. It's not okay if the person you're displaying your love the most for begins to show some love to others, right? We know this. It's a simple idea. Sometimes, though, I think we take God and we, we think that he's kind of sterile and robotic, like he's unemotional. The reality is he has emotion, and he does not like it when we put other things before him, when we create other gods, when we elevate other things above him, and he's saying that here. This is actually almost the longest commandment. Number, the, the one down a little bit further is a little bit longer, but he says, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. And then he goes on to kind of say this whole statement that is actually paired with this commandment. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children, and the entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. This is not a separate statement from the commandment. The commandment is don't create any other gods. Don't create any idols. Don't create anything that bears a different image and bow down to it and worship it. Don't put anything above me. And here is some consequences if you do. And here are some benefits if you do. If you do the bad part, you, you get it. And he says, everyone in the family is affected. Here's one of the first things I want us to understand, and this is true about all sin, but any kind of thing where we place it above God in our life will affect the people around us. I, I know we live in such an individualistic society where we think that our decisions are our own, and you see it today, a lot today, right? There's all this individual, individualism going on, especially in the, the search for identity and, and all the gender issues that we're hearing about, all these things where people are searching for, a, for fulfillment through different sexual ventures and all this different stuff. The truth is, when I look at that, I, I don't get angry about it. I literally look at people who are desperately looking for something, but they're finding it in the wrong places, and what we see here is this same kind of thing where he's warning, listen, if you don't understand, you can't make decisions and they only affect you. The world wants us to think that. Well, hey, what does my decision have to do with you? It has everything to do with me. 
Your decisions in your life affect me. My decisions affect you. And if we don't understand that as a world, then what we do is we end up destroying each other and trying to pass the blame elsewhere. And so there's this place where we have to realize from this scripture and, and from any kind of idea of idol, when we take idols and put them above God, when we take other things and place them above God, when we take ourselves and put it above God, we affect the world around us. Now, I'm a Christian, been now for quite a long time, and I think about the church a lot. I think about the church as a whole. Of course, I think about our church, but I think about the church as a whole a lot. And I think that sometimes we fall into this same trap. And when we take ourselves, and when I say ourselves here, I'm not just talking individually. I, I'm talking the church. And we take ourselves as the church and we elevate it even above the importance of God because it's this holy and right thing, the church. What happens is we affect the world in a very poor way instead of what we're supposed to be doing which is showing them what the Father's like, which is showing them what Jesus' heart is like, which is showing them that Jesus has paid an ultimate price so that they can be included in his family. Instead, we decide to stand up for all the things that are wrong with the world, and people miss seeing Jesus, and they only see us. This is the idol of self in the church. We want to make sure the world understands that we're holy and righteous, and we're doing everything right, and you guys, you're doing everything wrong. And what they don't see is they don't see Jesus, they just see you. They see me. This is an idol of self. It's when we've taken the importance of ourselves and placed it above the importance of what God's message is. We're at danger of this in every way in our lives. We, we know we do this in our individual lives too. We're always thinking about ourselves. We're always thinking about what's the next job promotion and what's the next pay raise and, and what's the next thing that's going to benefit me. I mean, when you pick a job, it's always based on what? The benefits of whom? You. <laughs> and so there's a constant fight in our lives to make sure that we don't fall into this trap of self. I want to talk about where I think this comes from. Now, there's a couple quotes I put in there. I love this Tim, Timothy Keller quote. He says, everybody worships something. The only choice you get is what to worship. I meet, I meet people in the world that have no interest in following God, would call themselves atheists or just secularists or whatever. The truth is they're still worshiping things. Maybe it's their job or their reputation or their retirement or the house they built or the things that they're achieving in, in life. But the truth is they end up worshiping something. And worship simply is this. It's what, what are you devoting your life to? What is the most important thing in your life? And we see it happening all around us. But Genesis 3 and 4, it's where we first see this problem come in. Obvious chapter here. Sin enters the world. We see the moment where Eve takes the apple, but let's remind ourselves of the story. This is Genesis 3, verse 4 and 5. So the woman and the serpent are having this conversation. The serpent's kind of lying and deceiving Eve. And, and this is what the serpent says, verse 4. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The first sin is us elevating ourselves over God. You will be like him. Now, here's the funny deception here. 
We already were. We were already created in the image of God. And here the serpent is trying to sell something new to a woman who already had it. And I'm telling you, this is the same thing the world is doing to us today. Trying to sell us an identity that is actually already ours, but can't be achieved at all in the way the world wants us to live. The world thinks that if we just are always looking after ourselves, if we're searching for ourselves, and there's a huge push in this, and I want to be careful with this because I'm going to kind of put some thoughts down, but also want to make sure that there's a healthy side of this. But if our pursuit for self-awareness and self-help and all the self-things that we do is the only pursuit in life we have, it will always end up the same way that the woman and man end up in this story. And what do we see take place? It says this. The woman was convinced she saw the tree was beautiful, its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Don't know why he was sitting there saying nothing. Typical man. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame. You see, the world is constantly trying to put things in front of us to say, listen, if you only did this for yourself, then you'll be whole. Listen, if you only thought about yourself a little bit more, then you'd be whole. Man, if you just take these pills and follow this regimen and buy these really, really expensive protein bars, then you'll be whole. Or listen, if you pay this subscription fee and you follow this plan from this other guy, then you'll be whole. Or, or listen, if you listen to this talk show guy and he, you know this 10-minute encouragement every day, and if you just simply repeat these words in the mirror, then you'll be whole. How many of us do them? You can admit it. You're truthful people in church, right? Because the point is we're constantly always looking after ourselves. Now, again, I'm kind of making fun of that, but there's a healthy side of self-awareness. Because there's an unhealthy side where we just don't acknowledge anything's wrong with us and we try to pretend our whole lives. That's a bad place to be. But if we swing the pendulum only to a place of self-awareness where we think we can achieve it, all we've done is elevate itself. And all it will give us is the same thing it gave the man and the woman, which is shame. I, I tell you, no matter how much I try to make myself better, I usually fail, which leads to guilt and shame in my life. But the only real transformation that I've experienced that has brought me peace and wholeness is when I've actually relinquished my life to Jesus. Now, here's the thing. There's a caveat. It still takes some work from me. But it's when I wake up every day and on a consistent and constant basis in my life, I say, okay, God, I am less important than you. And therefore, I am going to put my life in your control. This is literally the basis of Christianity, and sometimes we forget it. We love the grace message of like, hey, Jesus accomplished this thing for you on the cross, this atonement, and he pays for you to come into his family and all this grace, and I love the grace side of it. But there's also this part where he's expecting us to do something in return, which is to follow him. You know, Romans 10.9, which we quote as a salvation message all the time, if you don't know what it is, it says, if you confess with the, if you conf oh my gosh, I'm going to butcher it. I got to go there. Sometimes I can quote things and sound really smart, and sometimes I can't. That's what Google's for. 
Romans 10.9. Anybody else? You could have shouted it out by now. Romans 10.9, it says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, I've heard this shortened over and over, right? If you believe in your heart, confess that, or if you believe in your heart, you shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you shall be saved. None of those are the true statement here. The first part is the entrance part. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Now, in America, we don't understand lordship. We understand rebellion. We're really good at it. But lordship is this. Someone else is in charge of you. Someone else has oversight over you. Someone else actually is dictating the way your life goes and the direction of your life. To us as Americans, that's like, no. <laughs> no, thank you. I'll take the benefits of Christianity, but I don't want the lordship of Christianity. But this is where the idol of self comes in, and we want to act like Adam and Eve, where it's like, God, we want you to walk with us. We want to live in your presence in the Garden of Eden, but we just don't want to have to do what you say. How does that work for you? God doesn't really go for that. The idea here is that we actually have to constantly remind ourselves that Jesus is the Lord of our life. That he's the one in charge of our lives. And if we can actually lower our self-importance enough where he is over us, then everything actually goes better. That we actually find the very things that we pursue in our lives and we put all this time and money in our lives. We're looking for peace and we're looking for wholeness and we're looking for whole relationships and we're looking for all these things, provision, all this stuff. But somehow when we elevate ourselves, we exchange what we could actually have from God for shame. That's a bad recycling program. Don't give that to the enemy. Don't give... Those things to the world where they're asking you and trying to get you to do things that look like maybe it's going to help you, but it's not. Now listen, I, I put down exercise and protein bars and all those things. I do all that stuff. <laughs> I'm not talking about being weird about this. I'm making this idea that when we can take we can take something good and elevate it too high, and then it becomes something bad. We do this all the time. One of my messages is going to be about our country, and you're probably not going to like it. I love America. I love the United States of America. But when we take the importance of this country and we actually elevate it too high, we, we no longer represent Christ in the world the way we're supposed to. It's a very dangerous thing. We see it happening all over. I'm, so, I, I'm sorry, not sorry, kind of. Because the church has made a mistake in America where we've elevated the importance of our country over the people who live in the country. Because the people is God's goal, not America. And it can become an idol to us. We can take something wonderful that God has blessed us with and actually elevate it to a place where it then becomes an idol to us. And then God's like, what are you doing? I read it in the story of Hezekiah. If you listened to my message a couple months ago. I told this story of Hezekiah. Hezekiah becomes king, and it says he began to tear down all of the Asherah poles and all of these pagan shrines and all these things. And then it says this, and then he broke apart the bronze serpent 
that Moses had made. This was something good God had given them. There was a bronze serpent. It's a weird story, I know. Where everybody was sick, and God said, make a bronze serpent. Anybody that looks at the bronze serpent on the pole will be healed. And so he did. And everybody, 70-some thousand people, they were healed of this disease because they looked at the serpent. Well, hundreds of years later, they began to worship the thing. And they had elevated something God had done good in their life, something God had given that was good, and then put it above him, and it then became bad. It's the same for us. You are good. The way God's designed you is healthy and whole and good. But when we take ourselves and place us above God, we no longer meet that criteria. This is the challenge God has. This is honestly probably the biggest fight of our lives. The constant reminder to not elevate us over the importance of Jesus in our life. 1 Samuel 15, 12. We see Saul, the first king of Israel, fall into the same trap. 1 Samuel, you've got Saul where he's, God gives him this directive to go to war with the Amalekites again. You see, they had come into the promised land and the truth is that Joshua and the leaders, they didn't fully do all the things they were supposed to do. And so here we are years later, and God says, hey, you need to finish the job. These Amalekites, and they were pretty wicked people. We need to rid them of the land. You need to go in and finish this job. And so he does, and, and God says, just get rid of everything that's of the Amalekites. Well, they decide not to do that. Saul decides to keep all the things he liked for himself and for his men. And so they don't really, they kind of obey God, but they don't really obey God. And, and then we see Samuel come onto the scene in this chapter, in chapter 15. And he's looking for Saul because what happened was Samuel is awakened by a dream and God's speaking to Samuel. And God says, I'm sorry I ever made Saul the king of Israel. And it hurt, like Samuel loved Saul. If you don't know this, Samuel loved Saul. And Samuel's like distraught over the idea that God now was angry with Saul as king and saying that he was sorry he had ever made him king. And so Samuel goes to look for Saul to see what's going on. And we get to chapter 15, verse 12. It says, early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul, and someone told him, Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. Then he went on to Gilgal. And if you know the story, what happens is Samuel comes and he confronts Saul. And Saul's there, obviously, setting up a monument to himself and then kind of tries to wiggle his way out of why did we do these things and, and then kind of pleads for it. But at that point, literally, God's saying, no, I'm done with him. And we know the forward story is that God's picking David at that time to be the next king of Israel. And this is kind of where Saul loses God's favor over his life. And Maybe it's simply because of the disobedience factor, but I also see a deeper issue when it says that he went to the city to set up a monument for himself. You see, Saul had lost sight that the fact that God was the most important thing and that God was the one giving them favor and that God was the one delivering them from the enemies and that God was the one who had set this kingdom apart. And he had decided instead of setting up monuments for God, which is what we see with Joshua. You know, you see 
you see Moses and you see Joshua, and everywhere they went and every kind of battle they won, they would set up an altar and they would offer sacrifices to God or they would set up a monument to remind themselves. You know, they cross the Red Sea and this amazing miracle happens where the Red Sea parts. They get to their side and the first thing Moses says is set up a monument here, set up an altar so that we are reminded of God's goodness. And what we see now years later is Saul, but he's setting up monuments to himself. I think we do this in our lives, don't we? Our lives tend to be built around this idea of a monument to us. We want people to be reminded of all the things we've accomplished, of all the things we've done. And I mean, you, you see it in different ways around America and American history, and we see it around the world. I mean, you just go around the world, what do you see in every city? You see monuments and statues of great leaders. And you know who usually built those? The leader themselves. Most monuments that are set up with big, huge statues of people in a lot of countries around the world were set up by the guy at the time because before he died, he wanted to make sure everybody remembered who he was. So there's this temptation, just like in Genesis 3, for us to constantly elevate ourselves above God or to constantly elevate our importance for the world. And what happens if we do this in the church world and we do this as Christians is people end up only seeing humans instead of seeing Jesus. When people look at my life, I hope they don't just see the accomplishments of Greg. I hope they see Jesus' blessing. I hope they see Jesus' favor. I hope they see Jesus' sacrifice and his salvation over my life. I don't want to build monuments to myself. I want to build monuments to Christ. I want people to look and say, man, look what Jesus has done. Look what God has done. Not just look what look what NTC has done or even look what the staff here has done. That, that is when we get distracted and we start to look at people rather than at God himself. And we elevate ourselves, we elevate people over who God is. This is the danger of idol of ourselves. We must always fight the temptation of setting up monuments to ourselves. We do it in so many ways. I think this is why in the last 10 years they say, I don't know how they would know this, but they say the most photographs taken are selfies. I mean, listen to it. It's in the word. We, we would rather look at ourselves than the people around us half the time. And what we post on social media, that's actually the statistic. They say that the pictures posted on social media are largely selfies than any other kind of picture. Because what we want to present to the world is the best side of ourselves. And so we take 20 pictures and then we scroll through it and find the one that looks just right in our eyes so that everybody else can see us just in the light that we want them to see us in. The culture constantly pulls us into thinking this way. Constantly wants to make us think about ourselves in this way. It's such a danger for us. There's so many ways we build monuments to ourselves. Not many of us are putting up statues, but we are building things that we hope people notice. Romans 
book of Romans. It's like super straightforward and then super encouraging and super loving and then also very convicting. And we start here in Romans 1 and we see Paul writing to the Roman church, the Roman believers. In verse 18, he kind of goes on this tangent of, of just saying what he's thinking. He says, but God shows his anger from heaven against all the sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people, birds and animals and reptiles. I think about this. They, they began to worship idols made, that made to look like mere people. And this is the reality. We do these things, we take these things that are not worthy of the worship of our lives. And worship, again, is this devotion, this this place where we actually put something of utter importance and we put it even over ourselves, we put it over God. And the reality is none of those things are worthy. All those things pass away. I don't know about you, but I, I tend to be probably too much of a future thinker. You know, I'm, I'm almost 40 years old. And, well, technically I'm 39 right now. And the average age of men in the United States, lifespan of men in the United States, it dropped a couple of years, just so you know, is only 76. So I know this sounds like a little bit, you know, dark in a way to think, but I think to myself, I'm, old, I'm half over. Like, I'm, I, I'm on my downside and I'm only 39? Now, we don't want to admit that. And some of us are still trying to not think that at 60 or 70. You're just getting a little closer than me. But here's the thing. The reality is this. I look at my life, and I start to think about all the things I've spent time on, even the things I really do love, my house, and the things I've built. I love the things I've built. But I think about the fact that probably in 80 to 100 years, no one will ever care. I especially won't. I'll be in heaven, which hopefully is better. I, no, I shouldn't say hopefully. It's better. And, and I spent all this time and money and brain power and all these things on this stuff that we know just washes away or turns to dust, and, and yet we still do it. Now, there's nothing wrong with enjoying life. Like, please, don't get me wrong there. I think God put us here. We're called to enjoy the world that we live in. But there's this place where if we take the importance of all those things and we elevate it, we're always going to live in a place where it never meets that, that fulfillment. I've said this so many times. I believe this is why so many people experience midlife crisis. It's because somewhere in the middle of life when you start to realize that the end is closer than the beginning, you start to go, what did I actually do? What have I done that actually lasts? And we know Really, there's only one thing that lasts. It's the things we do for Christ. 
And the things we do for Christ that are most important to him is this. People. That's why Jesus doesn't make Christianity complicated. We did. Jesus boils it down to two things over and over and over in John 15. He says, I give you a new commandment. Love as I have loved you. Another time we know he says, all the law and the prophets is summed up in this statement. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. The simplicity of this is shocking. The difficultness of this is mind-blowing. The reality of how hard it is for us to actually just keep God in the right place where we love him with all our heart, mind, and soul, and then we love our neighbors as ourselves. We love people as Jesus loved us. If we were doing this, the legacy of our lives would be far beyond anything we could ever build to self. The monument of our lives would be one marked by what we did for Jesus. When I stand in front of him one day, I, I really don't think he's going to be like, Greg, man, that addition you built on your house, that shower, ooh, I wish I took a shower in there. Sorry, I have a nice shower. He's not going to bring it up. He's not going to say anything about it probably. He's probably going to be like, when you laid your life down for those people, when you loved that person when it was really inconvenient, when you took those children into your home and adopted them, those are the things God's going to bring up. Those are the things I want him to bring up. Because I want my life not to be about myself. I want it to be about him. And what he loves most is us. And so our lives are called to be all about Jesus, but all about others. But when we take this idol of ourselves and we place it above these things, then we never have the effect in the world God calls us to have. And that can be true as individuals and it can be absolutely true as the church. I think, I, I look at the church in America and I, I, to me it just feels so dang obvious. Like we're all confused why people are leaving church and why as a whole the church teems to be shrinking in the United States. And I'm like, because we're terrible at it. What do you mean why? Because when people look at the church, what are they seeing? They're only seeing us. They're not seeing Jesus. Not clearly enough. And I don't want to be that person. I don't want people to look at NTC and see Greg Hurlbut. I want them to look at NTC and say, man, those people just love people. Why? Why are they living like this? Why are they making decisions like this? Because we don't have an idol of ourselves in the way. Romans 12.1, I want to end with this. Why don't we stand? It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, this is Paul again. He's, I love this. He says, I plead with you. This is Paul. Pretty important guy. And he's like begging them. I plead with you. Give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Give your bodies, give your lives to God. 
the best way we can worship him is to lay our life down and let him do what he wants with it. To give it as a sacrifice, to give our time and our energy and our money and our love and our, our all the things that God's given us, to give it over to him and let him use it in the way he designs and desires to use it. And this is when people won't look at our lives and there won't be an idol of self in the way they'll simply see a reflection of Jesus. They'll see what he's really like. This is what I want to do this morning. Um, I want to take a moment and do an altar call. I want, we're going to open the front in just a moment. And this is what I'm, I'm asking, a conviction really moment, a, a repentance moment. You see, repentance sometimes... It just sounds like an ugly, cringy Christian word. But the reality is it's something that we should embrace. Because repentance is simply this. To turn in our minds and to turn in our lives. You know, it says when Jesus started his mini ministry, it said he went about preaching the kingdom and repentance. Because repentance is simply this. It's a realization that I've been traveling on the wrong road, going the wrong direction, thinking the wrong things. And when I come to that realization, I don't keep going the wrong way. I turn. And I go the right way. I follow Jesus. You know, Jesus' proclamation was the kingdom is near. Repent. I like that. It's actually a good invitation. It means that if I can simply turn from the wrong direction and the wrong mind thinking that I've been going, I can turn. And what's going to be there? The kingdom. That's a good invitation for us because the kingdom is full of all the things God's promised us. And I, I think we should do it afresh this morning. Maybe you're in this room and you're like, I don't think I've ever done that. It can start in a moment. The acceptance of Jesus in her life, it's this simple thing of just saying, God, I want what you have for me. I want what you've done on the cross for me. And, and in a moment, we can enter his family. We can enter into his kingdom. And then there's this repentance action where we can say, God, I, I think I might have been thinking wrong about myself. I think I might have been thinking wrong in this way, and I, I want that to change. So God, help me turn. And just like that, he helps us. That's repentance. That's salvation. It's not complicated. But it is costly. It means you're laying yourself down. It means you're de-elevating yourself below the importance of God in your life. And the truth is, for most of us, even as Christians that have begun that walk, it's this constant up and down. It's like this realization of, oh, shoot, I put that thing above God again. I have to lower it again. Or God, I started thinking in a wrong way again and I need to change that thinking again. And so repentance can be fresh every day. So this is what I want to do. I want to pray right now. The worship team is going to play. And after I'm done praying, I'm going to invite you. If you want to turn from a, a wrong mindset, if you want to repent this morning, I'm going to ask you to come forward. And there's nothing more holy about the front. But there's something about leaving where you are and going to a new place and the symbolization of that that I think really matters. Because sometimes God will do something in our seat 
and then we'll kind of jet out and we'll leave and we won't even talk about it. And what the enemy does, the Bible talks about it, it says he comes to steal it away before it can even take root. And I would say, don't let the enemy steal what God's speaking to you right now. Whatever the Holy Spirit's whispering in your heart right now, don't let the whole, don't let the enemy come and take that thing away before it takes root. So I'm going to pray. Father, we just thank you this morning. God, we thank you that you're a good God. We thank you that you love every person that is breathing on this planet, God, that you are reaching and drawing all men to yourself. God, that you're reaching humanity right now, God. We thank you that many of us in this room, you have You've reached out to us. You've pulled us into your family. But God, we want to actually worship you and you alone. We don't want our lives to be about ourselves. We don't want our lives to be about anything else. So God, we ask this morning, help us to take anything down that has been put above you, God, especially ourselves. God, we even ask for the conviction of your Holy Spirit to let us notice it. God, let us even see the places that maybe we aren't knowing where we're elevating ourselves above you. God, maybe the places where we've misrepresented you because we've done it. And God, just collectively today, we say we want to worship you and you alone. We want to tear down every idol in our lives. And we want to be people who reflect you well. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Listen, as the team worships, if you want to come forward, I would encourage you to come forward. Just lay your heart before God. Lay your life before God. Just take a few minutes. We probably won't have anybody come over and pray over everybody. This is a moment between you and God to say, God, I want to present my life to you in a new way. I want every idol torn down in every way. Come forward as they worship. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.